everyone, welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know, so you're in for one hell of a ride. But today I just have to uh, do the adverts and then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's uh, one of her... Roman British crime series, which was written under her maiden name. All editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. Welcome back Welcome to the Book and Life podcast, guys. I am super excited because today we have an absolutely incredible writer coming on. She's funny, she's witty, and she's everything you want to have when you're reading a good book. So, without further ado, and with the greatest deal of honor, I want to welcome Lindsay Lynch. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor to see you, and as soon as I got your book, I was like, I'm still reading it like a mad woman woman, but yeah yeah. I was like (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it that's always the reaction you want to have exactly because it's it's funny funny when when your book book arrived mine's is kind of of in a similar vein it's contemporary fiction fiction. and I just found out my launch date for that and I was like that's the weirdest feeling going Because mm-hmm. mine goes out like, August 21st, August 21st and, and I have set mine in sort of half in Chicago, half in, Chicago, half in Los, Los Angeles, and a little bit in, in Scotland, so it's kind of like you move around a little bit. But yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was just I like, like somebody's, somebody's writing, writing something, something I like. I know, I'm so happy to join like the pantheon of Hollywood books. Yeah, it's incredible because I think more of us now are looking at telling stories that are set in kind of like the performance the industry and then the writing, writing industry, industry because, because we're making, we're making us, us less, less, you know, like a ghost. 
mm-hmm. and yeah. we're making it more interesting. interesting. And we're kind of bringing the, everybody, everybody in behind, behind the fourth wall almost. Yeah, and I'm always been obsessed with like the secret lives of like monumental public figures, and what better yeah. place to play around in that than Golden Age Hollywood? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I laugh mean, I because laugh I do it with wrestlers, <laughs> and I get so I get many so messages many going. What have you put in that book? Am I in this book? Please tell me we're not in this book. Yeah, the good thing about historical fiction is I get to avoid that with like my contemporaries. I'm like, nobody's in this book. <laughs> it takes place in 1939. Yeah, you're like, you're, you're like, able you're to sail past it, whereas I'm get, like, I get like, like 50 like, emails. <laughs> oh, no. It can be addressing addressing because you you forget forget some of the stories stories that you've been involved in until until you get those emails and then you're like, oh yeah, I remember that night. Like you kind of always get like reminded and then I'm like, oh, I need to make a note of that. Yeah. The closest I've had is I stole some people's last names and I didn't think about that because like they just became the characters of course yeah. <laughs> until I got messages from like my college friends being like did you steal this person's name and I was like maybe <laughs> but that's the that's fun, the of, fun it. of it like, like my, my, my friends, friends are from, from all over the world, world. They'll, pick they'll pick up my up books my and they'll be like world. looking to see if they can see like did she use me as a character description or did she use my last name or did she use one of my like, like dreaded names, I think is, is kind of the way that they put it, um, because I rename everybody anyway, so, yeah, it's, I, I like that, you get a rush almost, I think. So tell everyone about it, because I can't do it justice, so let's hear it from, from you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so do tell, it's set in Golden Age Hollywood, it follows a character actress named Edie O'Dare, At the start of the novel, Edie has three months left in her contract at FWM Studios. Uh, However, she's she's not a great actress. She's pretty mediocre when it comes to acting. What she's really, really good at is knowing everybody's business. So she's that person who is at every party. She's eavesdropping. She's finding people's stories. She's selling them to reporters. So when the time comes for her contract to be up, she decides to become a gossip columnist herself. In the midst of all of this, she becomes close with an underage actress, Sophie Melrose, who has been assaulted at a party that Edie was also at, and she saw Sophie at this party. So Mm -hmm. she has to make some really, really impossible choices about what is she going to do with this story of this actress, Sophie? What role is she going to play, especially when she is trying to make her own career And she really, really has to play carefully with the studios because under the studio system, publicists, studio executives have just completely unchecked power, something we're hearing a little bit about right now. Um, And Edie just has to make some really difficult choices about how she's going to handle people's information. I think that's great. And for it to come out, out, especially especially during this time time where where we're having the biggest biggest strikes strikes across across Hollywood. Hollywood. Is incredible incredible to me because I think there's so many writers that are on strike right now that's probably going to read your book and be like, she gets it, you know, it's just going to hit home with all these people because they do know what it's like because they're living that Hollywood experience and it's not the best experience. I've I've done internships in production companies and it is hard. It's 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 very hard, and I think. You know, you the know, fact that you're highlighting this is a really, really great thing. And I think the more light that comes to this is the better. 
Yeah, and researching the studio system during that time was just so fascinating because I think I've always known the studios have a lot of power and control, as most of us do. But, you know, in the U.S., the studios were disbanded in 1948 by the Supreme Court because they were monopolizing. They owned distribution. They owned production. They had these intense seven-year contracts. And you always go into these things when you think like, oh, it's different now. Um, I think we're seeing it's even though those studios have been disbanded, um, it's it's not that different. They're still have probably way too much power. Yeah, yeah and I think, and I it's, think it's, you know, over, over time, time that kind of situation, situation is recreated because now all these other studios have gotten really big and gotten a lot of control. And I think it's going to be a system that's going to continually keep going in a way. And I think that's, that's a, a bit scary. scary. And I'm hoping that with the stripes, we might be able to like, put protective measures in for independent production companies so that they at least stand a chance um, in regards to the overall system that's there at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we want writers and actors to get paid. We want the people behind the scenes to get paid. Who are, yeah, especially hearing stories about, like, I didn't realize the extent to which current writers, like they don't even see actors on set anymore. They don't get mm-hmm. to see the people they're writing for. And yeah, I just. And it makes and it, it makes harder, harder for the writers, writers because for a lot, for of, a lot us, of us, we have we to have visualize the person, the person to, mm-hmm. to present the story, story in the way it needs to go. Because, because if you're writing for a guy that's six foot three, but then you but actually you find out he's five foot eight, it completely changes his gait. It changes his presence is you know sometimes you need to see that to get it really nailed down um i'm lucky because i i work in the independent scenes so i can see the actors i can see what i'm working with so it's like a much easier arena for me but i really hope that the writers do get to see the actors on set and do get to have those experiences of being like i can see my vision coming through the way it shoots you and, and the directors being able to even turn to them and say, what were you really going for here? Like, I don't feel like I'm capturing what you're trying to put into this. Or, you know, having a better relationship with the writers as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's hard to strike a balance because certainly during the studio system in Golden Age Hollywood, you had the complete reversal, which was you had these writers who got trapped in seven-year contracts and yeah. we're basically like chained to a desk in the studio um, and could be ordered around. Like, you've got to go rewrite a script right now. Get downstairs. Um, yeah. So I think it's a matter of, you know, you need to find that balance between we also don't want writers to be trapped to their desk for seven years straight under the control of a studio. But also, you know, now we have kind of a reversal where they're like isolated away from the work. Yeah, 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 and it, it's, it's, it's kind of weird, weird as well because well, I think a, writers, writers are, are even though we're introverts, introverts, we need that socialization, that and we need to be able to watch people in order to get the stories that we need to get. Um, I'm learning a lot about that because during the pandemic, I was completely isolated from all the writing community, and I realized how much I struggled to write because I didn't have that peer support system. I didn't have somebody rallying me and saying. No, 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 you can get your 10 pages done, you can do it, you can do it, you know, like, we kind of need that support system. system. And even though we ended up taking it online, it was still that kind of nerve-wracking of everybody trying to get the technology to work, 
people people remember to turn their their mics on. on. (laughs) You know, the usual technical issues we've all had with Zoom and Skype and all the other fancy dancing websites we were using. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I did a major rewrite of this book during the pandemic, like at the thick of, you know, I was completely isolated in a 400 square foot apartment, just doing a top to bottom rewrite of this book. And I feel like Edie like became my like weird imaginary friend during that time. It's like, I don't have anybody else to talk to, but I guess I can always talk to Edie. Exactly. Yeah. Like I I was lucky. I I was actually trapped in my, my mom and dad's house. Uh, So so I had my mom and dad and then I had my husband and trying trying to educate them on if I'm in the room with my headphones on and the door's closed, don't come in because I'm trying to write, you know, like getting that balance with them was almost like, it was the biggest distraction ever. Because my dad would my come dad at one o'clock. I remember, lunch is here, and I'm like, ah, like let me write. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've definitely been there too. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's I think it's, it's amazing. amazing. I think I to think anyone who can have a full, have house, a full of house of people and still get still like get a like full movie script written or a full book written because it's nuts. It's absolutely insane. So. Yeah, I take I take my hat off to everybody that's been doing that lately. So tell me, what where where did the idea come from for you to do this? What was your aha moment? So I started researching drafting this while I was doing my MFA um, in University of Wyoming, and I went into mm-hmm. that program. I had applied with contemporary short stories. And I was really, really convinced. I was like, I'm going to, like, I had this whole plan. And I actually did write contemporary short stories while I was there. My thesis was not this book. But this was around 2017, 2018, yeah. which was a scary time in America. I mean, when isn't it a scary time in America? But, um, you know, it was the start of the yeah. Trump administration. The Me Too movement was happening. And I just found I, I didn't really know how to write about the world around me. You know, I kept revising and editing the mm-hmm. stories that I had, but generating new ones was proving to be really, really hard. And yeah. on a whim, I picked up this one book called City of Nets by Otto Friedrich. I just, somebody had recommended it on Twitter. I was like, this looks fun. Like, let me have, I'm very much into the, I deserve a little treat lifestyle. So I was like, yeah, this is my little too. treat. That's why I have <laughs> the 250 books. books. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that was my little treat for the day. But what ended up happening was this book just consumed my brain for months. Um, and as winter settled in in Wyoming, which in Wyoming, winter goes on just forever. And it's not a mild winter. Like, you can't go outside, basically. Yeah. And all I, I wanted to do I come from was... Shetland. I, I really understand <laughs> yeah. that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, though, like, you have to bundle up every single... Like, you cannot have any part of your face unexposed that yep. kind of winter. Um, and all I wanted to do was read this book. And then I started rewatching the old movies because I've always been a fan of old Hollywood. And then I started coming up with characters and I had this idea, you know, every time I tried to like write this book initially, it always started with this same opening chapter where you have this large cast of characters at a party. An incident happens at the party, you know, a girl gets assaulted and Everybody sees this. They all kind of agree on what happened. It's more about how are they going to react to this and how are they going to handle this situation? 
So I started constructing a story around this incident. And then I, in my research, came across the trial of Errol Flynn, uh, who in 1943 did go to trial for the assault of two underage girls, separate incidents. And I realized, okay, this is kind of, this can be like the backbone for a novel and just kind of build it, built it out from there. Wow, that's incredible. Whereas for me, like, I just, when I came to actually doing a lot of my stuff, I was submerged in dancing and wrestling. So I was looking for almost like this new place that wasn't dancing related, wasn't wrestling related. I just needed to find a place I could let my stories out. Um, and I was really lucky because I found the voice of my dance character was not quite done annoying me. So I just started pouring my books out. Um, and I think that's, I think that's, the great thing the about great being thing a writer is writer when you have your aha moments and you can share it with other people because they sometimes they don't sometimes recognize the aha moments quite as well as we do. So I like saying, I like that, saying you know, I always ask this question on the show because I think it it, click, it helps other people click and go, oh, wait, that feeling I've got about this story, that's what that is. Like it helps to, to bring it into perspective. So what's been the so what's best, been the best uh, thing that uh, you've thing gotten, to, you've do gotten so to do so far? Oh, I don't even know where to start. I think probably, so I've been an indie bookseller for most of my adult life. Um, I've worked at Politics and Prose in Washington, D.C. I currently work at Parnassus Books in Nashville, Tennessee. So I've been, you know, working author events for years and getting to do an event at both the stores I've worked at was just truly surreal and incredible. I think especially having a launch party at my current bookstore, Parnassus, was just like, I remember that, at one point, everybody, best, yeah. yeah, everybody held up their books and I had to turn around because the event hadn't started yet. And I was like, I am going to start sobbing before we even get to the like, chairs. Um, oh, I so know that, that feeling. Was, yeah, I was like, I'd have to hold it in for like an hour here so that I can do this event. <laughs> I, when I did, I, my, when first I did one, my first one, uh, mine uh, was a total chaotic mess. mess. So my publisher, so my publisher didn't, didn't get the books till two minutes before the event to the store. The store, the store was all panicked. I turned up, and they just were like, "We don't know what we're doing." You know, but I, but all the books sold. All of them silent sold out within an hour. I signed them all, signed them all and, I left, and I left and I thought, and I thought that wasn't actually that, actually that bad. bad. And then I went and to I Glasgow, went which is my, my local store, store. And I and just I could not hold not the tears in. in. Like I, I literally came literally out came after out the signing and I'm doing this, like rubbing at the sides of my eyes to stop the tears from coming because I wasn't expecting the support in Glasgow that, that I got. So yeah, yeah, that's the payoff for like all these hours we sit at the computer and we scream at the computer and we scream at <laughs> I will say that's will the say best payoff pay because, because you're like, oh, I survived. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's especially surreal with Nashville because Nashville is not my hometown. It's kind of this city that like I accidentally moved to after college. I left for a yep. bit. And then when they asked me to come back, I was like, absolutely. I'll move back to Nashville. So it was just, it meant a lot to have that support from the city that like I've adopted and has adopted me in this kind of strange turn of events 
Yeah, because that was the yeah, same way for me in Glasgow because I grew up in Aberdeen in Shetland and I ever only ever went to Aberdeen, Scotland. And then, and then I got together I with my partner and we partner moved to Glasgow and, and it was like instantaneous. Was like instantaneous. The, the community just absorbed me. And, you know, I went to writings groups and I went to peer support group and all this stuff. And I just couldn't get over just the support that was there. Um, I, I don't think I would have gotten into writing if it hadn't been for people like saying, no, you've got real talent. What are you doing? Don't, don't give up. No, I want to know the end of the story. Like, you can't leave it like this. And me being like, oh, okay, you know, there's, there is people there. And I think that's, that's. A good reminder for everybody out there, especially during the strike and during, you know, where authors are struggling and agents are really struggling. So we just had agents and editors strike not that long ago. So, you know, it's good to say, hey, guys, we love you. We're all here. We're all cheering. We're all doing our thing and we're all being as supportive as we can. Yeah, it makes such a huge difference. Yeah. So what's been the most nerve-wracking so part, part, nerve so part of your journey so far? Um, I think I'm hitting the point where like the highs are really high and the lows are getting like are very terrifying. Um, so there's just it's at the stage where the book's been out for two weeks and it's like, are people reading it? Um, but then I realize like the things that I'm anxious about, like they're not tangible. Like I'm imagining some like mm-hmm reader who doesn't exist who's like this book is garbage whereas like the things that are good are the tangible things that I have actual evidence of so I think it's always just you know those gray areas in your mind that you're just unsure about and if you're anxious like me you're just gonna fill it with negativity um and then I just do remember that, that. I do. so yeah I'm yeah. right there with you I always say it's imposter syndrome because mm-hmm. once you've done it and once the book's out there, it's, out it's there. almost it's like, almost you're like, like, oh crap, am I actually good enough to do this? Am I good enough to have this spot? And I call it imposter syndrome because that's the closest thing I've ever read that explains it. Um, and I used to get it whenever I wrote anything to do with dancing or wrestling, I'd be like, oh my God, what am I doing? I don't understand this. And my friends would be like, shut up, you've got this, just focus on what you can control and and ignore everything else. else. And I am so grateful for that advice. And they tell me that, same advice, every few days, just to remind me, because I'm pretty sure they think I forget that I'm like a goldfish. But yeah, like sometimes I have to be reminded to just focus on what you have control of and what you've got now. Now. And you know and the other the, stuff will work itself, itself out, or or you can deal with it if it comes up. Yeah, I think I I often have the refrain in my head of just like the good things are the true things. Yeah. Like hang on to those moments of you know if you see that review, like hang on to the things where they said something nice and not the one line that's like even mildly critical. Like yeah. the good things are the true things. I was just about to, to say advice, like, don't read the reviews. <laughs> oh yeah, no. I have stayed far away from Goodreads, but, you know, there's still always those reviews that pop up and it's like 90% nice things and there's one comment and and you're like, focus on the 90%. Yep. 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 I've been there because one of the first things I learned in my first year year was an author who was really established in the sense that for, say, Crystal, don't read the reviews. 
because I got so I got upset because so somebody that actually somebody wrote actually could not wrote, finish could not and that was all they wrote finish. and I was and like oh no oh, you know no. that moment of, you know, that of moment sheer panic, of sheer panic. And, and and she was like no she was like no. just just don't just, just don't. don't go on just there go just on don't there. read it don't just read it. focus just on what you're currently writing and just let your publisher guide you like they'll make sure that you're staying on track um um my co-author sometimes co reads, sometimes them, reads them, which I wish he wouldn't, wish but, you know, everyone's <laughs> different. Everyone's um, different. But, yeah, I always say to her, too, when you first launch, don't read them because read them you'll because feel this need to respond, and if you respond, you can kind of kill your career before it ever starts as well. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think we've all seen and authors who've done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, don't reply on Goodreads. So what's your best so what's your writing best tip that you can give writers out there right now? When I think about this book and, you know, going back to like that aha moment, I think it's follow your obsessiveness because yes. I think, you know, for me it was, I just went down this rabbit hole of this era and I really just allowed myself to be completely immersed in the, in the time period and the movies and the voices and yeah, I mean, it, it borders on like a descent into madness, but I had Just a wonderful a bit, mentor. Yeah. yeah, my mentor, um, Wyoming, Allison Hagee, who's a great Appalachian writer. She's always talking about like, I see that obsessiveness. Like I see it in your face when you're talking about this time period and this story. Like you have to just hang on to it and ride it out and just see what happens. <laughs> I, I'm the same way because I'm I'm doing sixty four books for my series, which which sounds like a lot. Sounds like a lot. But when I actually when look I at the story projection, projection it's not as much as I thought it was. And, and that's like the one thing, like I, do thing is, I do is like as soon as I have to go back and I have to edit that world or I have to write the next one, I just completely, I have wrestling on and I have dancing stuff going and I just completely, my husband will go, can we talk about anything else but wrestling and dancing? Like, do you know anything else? And I'm like, for the next month and a half, no, no, you know, I've just got to, I've just got to be there. And I used to have, I like, one of my other like, tricks was having candles with different scents. It's had a scent for every scent character. For every so if I was mm. working on a particular character and she was, or he wasn't playing ball, I would light a candle and it would it would make me think of them. Um, I'm not as bad with that now. I have gotten better at the relying on my notepad compared to, like, I need flavored coffee or I need... You know, like all of my other superstitions to get it to get it going. Do you have your one thing that you definitely need to write, or do are you gotten to that stage where you can just sit down and go for it? I always have a stack of what I refer to as my emotional support books, which even if I'm not like actively referencing them while I'm writing, I just it it makes me feel better to know that they're sitting there on my desk. So it's usually a mixture of nonfiction that I'm using for research, fiction that may or may not be related to the topic at hand. And then there's usually a couple of collections of poetry that just, you know, sometimes I open them up and flip to a random page just to like get the creativity flowing, but it's mostly mm -hmm. just, it's comforting to like look at them above my computer and know like they're right there. 
they're right there. They're Everything's right there. good. Everything's I know good. what I'm doing. It's 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 so it's funny to so me funny to, to me have all the have different all authors the different I've had on the show because we're show over a year old, over and everyone has such everyone a different process. process. And I think that's really good because, really good because I think when you're learning and you're studying you're writing, you're studying you kind of think that there's only one way to do it. And then by coming on here, I think people are now sort of engaging and they're learning. Oh my goodness, there's like a million ways I can do this. Whatever feels comfortable for me, whether it's writing in my sweatpants or writing in bed or some, I know some authors that write in the back. So they have that vulnerability. Whatever works for you, just go with it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I remember when I was in my early twenties and like, I really tried to like listen to the advice of like, if you don't write every day, you're not a writer. And like, that's just so untrue. Like exactly for me to draft this book, like I you know that first draft, I just did a quota of 500 words, which is, you know, like maybe two do, pages. Yeah. yeah. Depending on how much dialogue is in there. Like I set a very manageable bar and you know, those 500 words accumulated. That's the only time I think during this process that I did write every day because it was a fairly low quota, but otherwise like, no, of course I don't write every day. Like it's fine. I love that because for me, like I have to have certain pieces in place to write. So, so I find that if I don't have that mood or if I can't get out of my own head, I have to go away and do something completely unrelated, whether it's getting on with my friends and just chilling with them. Um, you know, I got, I got involved with a gaming server. Absolutely. I adore this gaming server because I can just go in there and I'm not crystal the author. You know, I can go in there and just be myself who likes games. She's looking for a couple of people to go play games with until my head's clear enough that I can go right. And I built some incredible friendships just by doing that. Because I'm not somebody that goes out to goes drink out in to bars drink. or does anything does like that. that not anymore not anyway anymore, but, but yeah so that was, yeah, so my, that thing. was and, my thing and, and I was very I was lucky very I found lucky. Drop I Dead like three months ago three months and it's ago. been the saving grace saving of grace my, sanity my sanity since then so yeah yeah I always think of um Roy Ken and Ted Lasso and his like yoga group that he's in with those middle-aged women where like they have no idea who he is like we all need like our our middle-aged yoga ladies who just don't know who we are (laughs) i did an author event about four and a half weeks ago and i was watching something called laughter yoga and i was like what in earth is this I'm about to go in and I'm do about this big to go in. talk or romance and, and characters and and, and, and and this very dramatic storyline. Very dramatic story. And I'm watching people I'm watching falling on the floor, on the floor jiggling, legs, jiggling legs, laughing at each other, high fiving each other, saying random letters to each other. And I'm like, I can't write this. It's too funny. It's literally too funny. And I, I and honestly, I, I had honestly, my makeup, I had done, my makeup and done and everything, and I, 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 think, I, it I think it ran. I think it ran. 
because I was trying so <laughs> hard not to laugh so at this this group. <laughs> and then when the and author when event the started, author it was started, some of the middle aged women who had been at the yoga group, group sat down, sat down and then I had to try and not picture yeah, these women these doing women all these like pretending to be a dog peeing on the wall and stuff. And it was like I can't imagine. Yeah, I was just like, how do you do this? That's, that's been my most recent um that's, that's been my most recent um interesting experiences and interesting also. experiences and also. Yeah, also, what a fun places. night for them. <laughs> Go from laughing yoga to an author event. Yeah, that's it was great. The, yeah, it was the, the... I was just I was just sitting there completely like eyes wide and wide. thinking, <laughs> Oh, I hope I don't I hope I don't suck at this talk, this like talk. Um, but I hear that the uh, the book club picked it up. So, <laughs> oh good. So maybe so my maybe uh, struggles with laughter was not in vain. So what's what's your big thing that you're looking forward to the most? What are you most excited about? I think I'm just excited for this book to find its readers and. I'm also excited I get to go to a couple more indie bookstores that I've never been to. And again, as an indie bookseller, like it's exciting for me to get to see stores, talk to readers. You know, I've, I've done events at like some bigger stores, but I also did one recently at a fairly small ish store in um, Tennessee. And I was a little nervous because I was like, I don't know anybody here. Like it's a smaller town, slightly smaller than Nashville. It's still a fairly large town, but I wasn't sure if people would show up and it was just so nice that, like the whole community like showed up. There were people in chairs. They were excited. They asked great questions. And I realized like the store doesn't have like a ton, a ton of events, at least not in, you know, Parnassus has like basically yeah. an event a day. Not all bookstores operate like that. Not all of them can. And in this case, the store didn't have as many events. And I realized like it's it's just exciting to have an author event to go to. Um, so yeah, that was just a really great experience and I'm excited for more. I must admit that, must was, admit my that was my when feeling when I did my first book tour. I was like, right, I've done my first tour. When can I do it again? I had the itch. I call it the author itch where we all want to travel around and experience everything. So I totally, I totally get that. So what's, what are you reading right now that's standing out to you above everything else? Well, I have to strike a balance between my job at the store and my job as a writer, which can sometimes cause some friction because at the store, I need to be reading new releases. Um, I'm the book buyer yeah. for adult fiction and nonfiction there. So I kind of have to have a good sense of, you know, reading like four to six months ahead, what's going to be big. So for that side of things, I'm about to read Kylie Reads Come and Get It, which is coming out in January here. Um and I'm really, really excited for that one because I loved her last book. But then for the writer side of things, like I mostly want to be reading research or backlist or, you know, books by dead authors. So I'm trying yep. to yep. find, you know, uh, I think sometimes I switch off between I'll read like one new release, one backlist and go back and forth. I'm, I'm with you on I'm, that I'm because I get like the books for the, the podcast and then I have my books that I have, I have to read for the writing and sometimes, the it's like, and sometimes it's like they're at war with each other, you know, but sometimes you just get something that comes in just at the right time and it kind of ties in with what you're writing and it's like, 
I don't have that don't that, have at, that, war that at war kind of feeling reading it. So it's, it. I, always so I always think it's good. Um, but if you ever get a chance, you should check out Catherine Cookson because she stood out to me when I was looking at your book because she was somebody that liked to capture voices of people that kind of go unheard. And she started doing that in the early 90s and she was greatly loved here in the UK and in Europe and in India. Um, but there's a lot of people in the States who don't know her or don't have never come across her. And then when they read stories, like she was tackling racism in 1991. I mean, that was way before any movement, way before anything. Um, and I just think if you really love classic authors who are gone and she is a classic, but she's not classed as a classic, um, you would, you would adore her. And she writes exactly how she talks. Or exactly, or exactly how, how people in that town that would talk, or in that that, that class system class would talk too. Yeah, I'll absolutely check her out. One of the things we've been doing at the store recently is every Friday we'll post a like backlist new to you yeah. video um, where we just you know find something. It's either a classic or it's been published you know a couple of years ago, and people might not have noticed it. And just give those books kind of some attention. So it's been really fun to do those videos and, you know, introduce the world to some of these overlooked, at least in this case, in the U.S. books. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I love that idea because I think, I mean, I know this for certain, a lot of authors, when we have our release day. After that day, After it that day, sort of slowly tappers out, tappers you know, the, the, the interest and the hits and Google and everything. And so this and is why with oh, the, the podcast, I feel like I'm giving them that everybody an extra boost in, a, in that regard because people do listen to podcasts more than they listen to music now for some reason. And I think that's really good because it gives people an opportunity to hear other books that would never otherwise be heard of. And I, I try and bring in indie authors and I bring in mainstream authors to try and allow people to discover that there's a huge universe out there, not just the four major publishers. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. Yeah. It's also why I love indie booksellers because they're also great at doing that. Um, and I see it every day because whenever I, whenever I do orders for the store Monday through Friday, I see all of our sales from the day before. And I don't think a single day goes by that I won't see a sale for like a paperback that came out in like 2015. And I'm like, we're still selling this and inevitably I'll check the inventory card for the book and it will say like staff wrecked in 2015 and somebody like one of our booksellers is still hand selling this book. And it just means so much to like have that kind of, you know, publishing does have a long memory, but sometimes publishing has a very short memory, like season by season. Whereas, you know, when you have indie booksellers or folks running podcasts who are really passionate about books, like you kind of have that sense of, a bit of a longer shelf life because we're we're obsessive. We remember things. <laughs> we are, we and are. especially, and especially as, as you get a reader who comes up to you and says, "Do you remember the dog that you wrote in da 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 chapter?" chapter and you're standing there going, "There was a dog." <laughs> and then I have and to then go I have to secretly look at my book as I see, "Did I put a dog in here?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible for I'm deleting terrible for my deleting own work out of my brain, out of my but brain, everybody but else's everybody books else are stored in there. In there so. so, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
So what, what so would be what your, would be best, your advice best advice for somebody for who's somebody just graduating just university, university and is about to kind of dip their toe into the publishing right. industry? Dip their toe into the publishing industry. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, when I think about myself directly out of undergrad, if somebody had said, like, here's a magical ticket, you can go to your MFA, like, of your dreams right now, I, of course, would have been like, yes, absolutely. And I don't know that I would have been right to say that. I ended up going into my MFA when I was 27. So a couple years out of um, undergrad. And I think it was so important to have that period of time where, you know, I was working odd jobs or I was working full time. And I knew I wanted to write, but I didn't have like a professor or a class, you know, saying like, this is your deadline. You have to write this by then. Like I really, really had to negotiate those deadlines just with myself. And I had to figure out like, okay, I want the writing to get done and I'm the only person who's asking for it. Like, how am I going to get it done? I think it was so, so important to just really have those difficult conversations with myself about, you know, do I really want to do this? If there is, not only is there nobody in the room asking for it, but like people wish I, like people don't want me sending things out or I'm just getting rejected, you know, like you're just shouting into the void and how do you figure that out? I always say, I always say like, I, I, when I started off, I got rejected everywhere. And then just one person said, I want to give you a go. And I have dyslexia. So most of my rejections was based off the fact I had a learning disability. But, but seeing what how far the industry's gone from like 14 years ago to how it is now, it's just incredible. I keep saying this to everyone. If you work at it, you're persistent and you don't give up and you constantly drive and you constantly, you have to find a way to believe in yourself because everybody's going to find a reason to say no. You just have to keep going till you find that one person that says, oh my God, yes. And there is somebody there is out somebody there that will give you that. Yeah, it definitely, it, it was a long journey for me, even after like, you know, getting in. Like, I think so many steps of this journey have felt so impossible, like getting into a program, getting a story published, getting an agent, that it, you kind of forget that you've done something impossible until you're like on to the next impossible thing. So I think it's just important yes. to sit and remember like, all of this will feel impossible at some point, but we, we still do it. And what an incredible thing that is. <laughs> that is so true. Well, so I have true. been well, delighted have to have you on today. To have I have today. really I have enjoyed really our conversation. Enjoyed I hope you have, I as, hope well. You have as well. Absolutely. And, and I hope, I hope, and I really hope to have really you back when we get the next book out and I can, I can gush, gush, gush all over how much I'm loving this one. Um, and, uh, you know, sharing the excitement for your next one. And uh, hopefully we'll keep in touch and we'll email back and forth. I always say that to everybody on the show. I love getting emails from people that's been on and hearing how they're getting on and sharing stories because you never know what never crazy know what stuff's going to happen. Gonna and sometimes it's nice just to have a fellow author go, oh my God, you're not going to believe what happened to me the other day. Because somebody else somebody who's an author gets, gets it, it, you know, because we've been mm-hmm. in these situations before. So um, I always think that's good, especially when you're first out and you're first doing your first ever tour and stuff like that. It's 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 a comfort thing to be like, okay, 
I, I can handle this. It's not too bad. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, you'll well, want to come back next week back as next we week have an incredible, incredible surprise, um, which I'm not going to talk too much about today, but you're going to want to check in and see what I've got in store for you.